Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. It is great to have your company and uh, boy, this earnings season is uh, just seeing a barrage of results coming through, keeping us all busy here at Ausbiz. Uh, but for the next hour or so, this is The Call, where we take a look at 10 stocks that uh, you've suggested to us that we run it past our expert panel and we uh, throw in a stock of the day as well with earnings season. It's uh, important to keep on top of those, see if any opinions have been changed. But uh, let's bring in the panel. Uh, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. How are you, Scott? G'day, Koshi. I'm Mark very well. Mullins Thank you, mate. How are you? Team Invest as well. Um, any early thoughts, Scott, on, um, on the earnings season? Is it stacking up? Certainly... Certainly shareholders are being bombarded with money and buybacks, aren't they? Dividends? Plenty of cash coming, isn't there? It's a remarkable story, Koshi. Early thoughts, I suppose, yeah. The first thing, a lot of cash coming out from banks and other places. Plenty of companies looking to pretty much put some of that money to work. On one hand, great to have the cash. On the other hand, also probably worth mentioning that it means that they can't find growth to fund. And again, sometimes companies spend and waste a lot of that money, so we'll have it back. Thank you very much. On the other hand, if there were compelling growth opportunities, they'd hopefully be looking for them. So maybe it says that. Um, also, I saw some ComSec numbers out this morning of the ASX 200. About 53% are up share price-wise on the day. Uh, so effectively, a, a coin toss it means the market's getting it roughly right. So the results have been really, really good, almost across the board with some exceptions. Um, but that was largely expected, largely factored. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway for me. Yeah. Uh, Mark, how are you seeing uh, Team Invest? type stocks. Uh, you've oh, been a big supporter of Breville, uh, haven't you? That was out this morning. We've had yep. CSL. Uh, how are yes. they all stacking up? Uh, all, all good, actually. I mean, the only one that's down was down a little bit was uh, Magellan, which I think is yep. down uh, about 7%. So other than that, uh, it's been excellent. We've had a very, very good earnings season. And as Scott said, a lot of the, uh, particularly the resource companies are, are, are paying big dividends and giving money back to shareholders, which is what they should be doing. Because yep. you know, the, the market is actually at sort of record high uh, prices and they can't, um, they can't um, uh, there's no way they can reinvest that money at the moment in new mines when uh, you know, it's the yep. top of the cycle. So they're doing the right thing. Yep. Uh, were you surprised with the reaction to the Magellan result? 
Oh, no, not really. I mean, the, the, I'm never surprised with what the market does because it's like uh, like Mineral Resources came out with a spectacular result and the share price went down 5%. Right. You know, so it's like it's, it's very it's very difficult to uh, be, be put an answer on it. You can look at it and say, "Oh, this happened, therefore that must be because of blah." But it, everyone's just guessing. You don't really know because yep. it's just uh, it's just the fickle market. Yep, yep. And, and, um, and of course, that's a good thing, Koshi, because if it wasn't like that, we wouldn't get opportunities to buy great companies at bargain prices, which is what yeah. we want to do. Yeah, uh, but Scott, to, to just extend Mark's point there. Um, do you wait a while after a result before acting on on an earnings result? I'm probably, I'm going to give you a boringish answer, Kosh. I very rarely act on an earnings result at all, unless the market itself reacts or overreacts. Maybe that's to, to Mark's previous point. Right. You know, as a long-term investor, I, I mean, I've held almost all of my shares for more than three years, and I want to say the vast bulk for more than five. So in terms of, yeah, I top up from time to time, of course. So I'm putting money yeah, to work, but I haven't sold one in a very, very long time. When I look at earnings, I'm looking to see if it's on the right track. And it's a pretty broad track, to be fair. If the earnings miss by X or beat by Y, I'm rarely concerned, really interested. It's largely a question of, is the business roughly on track with a long-term compound return I'm looking for? Yeah. That being said, to your point, if I do get an opportunity, yeah, sometimes I do. I mean, if, if you get, if you're like Magellan yesterday, and frankly, while well, the result might have been disappointing for the market, if it's well, hang on, is it is it genuinely, you know, you lost a dollar in twelve on the back, or a dollar in fourteen on the back of that news? Is it really that much worth that much less, or is the market overreacting? If it is, great time to buy. On the flip mm. side, um, sometimes markets carry away with with positive results as well, and there's opportunities to sell. So, be opportunistic price-wise if on the market's response, rarely on the company results themselves. That's though. interesting. Interesting. Yeah. All right, let's yeah. uh, look. At, uh, sorry, Mark. Oh, sorry. I was just going to add to that, Koshi. One of the things that a lot of our members have done, which is quite successful as well, is they're looking at the companies that they want to add to their portfolio that are already at a price where you would be happy to add or buy them for. And then you put an order in before the announcement of the earnings result at 5% or 6% below market. And you quite often you pick it up because the market, mm. you know, that's, that, that, intraday, they can drop initially, then come back up anyway. But you're only buying the ones that are at a price already that you'd be happy to buy them and you yeah. take advantage of any uh, fluctuations on the day of reporting. And sometimes see, they go the other way, they go up. You don't see, Breville could be an interesting uh, case in point for you today because you've, your members have always been big backers of Breville, came out with a stellar result and then dropped. Yeah, well, Breville was already very expensive though. Yeah. So that, that was the problem. It was on a very high PE already. So I couldn't I couldn't pay that much. I mean, Howard bought a whole heap uh, in April last year and he's been very pleased with himself, but I don't, know if, sure he's, he I don't know if he's buying anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's look at one of the results that came out uh, this morning. Thought we'd take a look at uh, one of the big players in the property mix, Domain, um, always the bridesmaid to, to realestate.com. Uh, the company declaring a final dividend of four cents. It's uh, first since 2019. Revenue, earnings, profit all climbed through the full year as the property market found its feet. Net profit climbing by two thirds to around $34 million. The company's um, chief executive, uh, Jason uh, Pellegrino saying the recovery of market listings has combined with an expansion in domains controllable yield to deliver accelerating revenue growth in the second half. And you know, does it make a look any more attractive at an investment no, at this level? No, it doesn't look any more attractive at all. It's uh, the, the, pro the problem domain has is that they 
they came into the market where you have a dominant player, which is REA, you know, realestate.com. Realestate.com is 10 times bigger than domain. And no matter what domain's done as far as spending a fortune on marketing with Fairfax and so on, they ne they've never really, I don't think, been able to make any serious inroads on REA. And if you look at their numbers, they've only been listed for three years, so it's not enough history for us anyway, but their, their return on equity is only 1.7%, which is pretty woeful. And it's on a PE of 116. REA is on a PE of 61, which is also really expensive, but domain's on twice, you're paying twice the rate wow. for the same dollar of earnings in domain, and it's a far inferior uh, business, in my view, uh, than uh, REA is. So uh, I wouldn't consider uh, domain. I'd buy REA, but it's not a 61 PE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's out, really out of whack, isn't it? Um, Scott, yeah. what do you think of the result and domain? Yeah, I'm glad you asked the question that way, Koshi, because they really are two separate answers, quite honestly. The first is, what do you think of the result? This is a really, really good result. It's hard to see it as anything other. 10% um, growth in revenue, 20% growth in profit. Uh, it, not much more you can ask of a company, particularly in the last, the last 12 or 18 months. Now, to be fair, house prices didn't fall as much as might have been the case. Unemployment didn't rise as much as might have been the case. So it's hardly been the worst situation, the worst conditions for, for housing. Uh, but continued growth there, top and bottom line, you know, ticks all the boxes, have done exactly what they should be trying to do. Uh, that is get good top line growth and convert that to even better bottom line growth. So I can't complain about the result at all. I share Mark's concerns. I do like REA more than Domain. I don't dislike Domain as much as some might. Um, most of these network effect businesses, think about the Facebooks, think about the Seeks, are mostly winner takes all or winner takes most. Because you don't simply, you, everyone's going to go to one place uh, and, and basically, you know, if you're looking for a job, you're going to go to Seek. If you're looking to hire someone, you're going to go to Seek. Pretty straightforward. The difference here, of course, is that the cost of the classified is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the mm. price of the house you're either looking to buy or sell. If you're a seller, you're probably not going to say, well, REA is bigger, I'll just do that one. Almost everybody, particularly if you, have a, you live in a, uh, what, what was Fairfax newspapers, state or city, <laughs> You're going to say, well, look, REA is bigger, but a lot of people look, use domain as well. Why would I not use both? And so I'm not convinced it's a losing proposition as a business. To, to Mark's point, 60 times earnings, um, yeah. even with the sort of growth it delivered. Look, you know, if it can do 20% for the next 10 years, it's probably cheap. But can it really do 20% for the next 10 years? I'd be very, very surprised. So, yeah, um, it, yeah look, it's one you'd happily say, look, you know, doing really well, fine result. I'd happily buy the business at, at the right price. I have nothing against the business itself. Um, but I do think it's way overpriced for what you're getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On those multiples, it certainly is. All right, let's get into the uh, 10 stocks that you want the uh, the guys to have a look at. Jessica, uh, Scott wants a view on Mervac, the big property company, uh, developer. Uh, they also manage properties across commercial, industrial, uh, residential and retail. Good recent result. Um, statutory profit up 61%, but revenue's down because they're, they're not doing enough um, or as much development. And that's kind of the crux of the problem, Kosh. You've got two things with Mervac to look at. You've got the value of the properties they manage, own, and are developing, and then you've got their ability to move them on. Um, we've been through the ring of a four, and gee, the GSC feels like ancient history, doesn't it? So much has happened in the last 14 years. Um, yeah. But we know what happens or can happen to property companies. We know what can happen to construction companies when there is insufficient liquidity, insufficient demand, and frankly, too much debt. Um, you want to be really careful with a business like this. It's one, look, I'm... Uh, I have most property companies in my in my personal penalty box right now in the sin bin, uh, not because they're doing anything wrong necessarily, but because I think COVID and the after effects have really changed so much of what we thought we knew. 
There were some things you could assume for good. That was Transurban was always going to have traffic. Sydney Airport was the best asset in the world. Um, you know, cash flows were, who wouldn't, you know, why would Sydney mm. Airport possibly lose customers? Well, it turns out a pandemic is a good solution. On one hand, you say, well, that's in the past. That is in the past. That's absolutely true. On the other hand, think about Mervex business. Do we all want to live in the city in future? Do we all want to work in the city in future? Um, I live in, in regional New South Wales. Um, you know, th there are there are changes that are going to happen as a result of COVID. Not as big as some expect, not as small as others expect is my guess. Generally speaking, the extremes give you a nice <laughs> a nice way to, to find a midpoint and somewhere in between there is probably right. If you own a, whole, own a whole lot of commercial property, think about retail, think about office space, think about where people are choosing to live, how much they're going to pay for those places. Even the fact that house prices have absolutely outpaced units over the last 18, 24 months. Um, I don't hate the business. It's trying to get 10 odd times earnings. Um, it's not a stupid price to pay. If you, if you did like Mervac and you were not worried at all about my concerns and you thought there was long-term growth, then geez, nine times earnings, you know, it's a great price to get a good business if that's your view. I just simply don't have a strong enough view of what that future looks like. I can't handicap yep. it well enough. And so it's just in the penalty box. Yep, good point. Mark? Um, no, I think that's all well said. I, th I think the difficulty is with post-corona, we really don't know yet what's going to happen because we're not back to work yet. So we, we actually don't know what the impact is on office towers. And I know there's anecdotal evidence around of uh, large corporates that have been trying to sublease, sublease major floors and big areas and a lot of the A-grade buildings and with very little success because there's no takers. So, you know, they've got leases for a period. So there's a, a delayed effect on companies like Mervac for where they're, where they're uh, collecting rental income and so on. So it doesn't just suddenly drop off. Uh, with the corporates, they're going to still pay the rental bills. But long term, all these areas of their business, it's very, very questionable on where we're going to end up. I have no idea. And if I have no idea, how can you possibly, you know, using Scott's word, handicap the business? If you look at their earnings going forward, it's very difficult to say what they're likely to be. So even though the PE is low and it's at the very bottom of the green for us, which is it's at the bottom of the bottom quartile. So for Mervac, it's on a very low PE. And I think that's correct in this market because there's so much unknown. Uh, and it, you know, their performance over the next few years could be anything. And uh, the other thing is that their uh, sales are on a minus 8% per year is their average growth rate of sales, but profits up 7%. That's unsustainable in the long term. So obviously you've got, uh, you're earning more on less revenue that's also a concern as well, but it's just too hard. Okay, all right. Um, this next one's interesting. Aidan wants a view, Mark, on Mastermind. Um, Aidan says, interested to hear thoughts on Mastermind as it has a really strong story and a different business model to the majority of miners, enjoying some good price momentum and favorable economic conditions. Basically, it's a coal mining contractor, isn't it? it um, uh, it services um, underground mines and the long wall machinery. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we, we at Team Invest, we like, uh, we're always much more interested in mining services companies than we are in the miners themselves. Yep. Uh, because the mining services companies can often maintain income regardless of what the commodity price does, uh, depending on their contracts with their uh, clients. Mastermind has uh, contracts with. Um, American, uh, what's it called? Uh, they've got Glencore, quite a few major groups. They do long, the long wall oh, mining yep. for them. So they're literally contracting the mine themselves. I actually, I don't mind this business. And now you could say, well, if you're an ESG type investor and you don't want to have anything to do with coal, then okay, you wouldn't want to buy it. But uh, I actually think the coal assets like this and the, the companies that actually are making money as contractors like, like uh, Mastermind, 
uh, you're probably going to do really well over the next five, 10 years because there's so much pressure on the industry that there's nothing new coming on, yet the demand for thermal coal is going through the roof yep. uh, with China because they're building, they're putting new coal-fired power plants out every week. You know, so I actually, I, it's a bit, it's a bit counter uh, politically correct, but I think it actually looks quite good. It passes all our filters and we're showing it returning about 15% per year on a margin of safety, which is very, very high. That's, and the expected return would be a lot higher than that. It's currently on a P of 12, which is not uh, stretched, and they've got uh, good earnings growth and good momentum. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm going to say that I would put this in as a buy. It's it's only, by the way, 108 million market cap, so it's quite yep. small. I'm, I'm not sure what the liquidity is like. Uh, Scott could probably answer that. I don't have that metric. Um, but it looks quite good. And I think coal, I've got a friend in who's very senior in Glencore, and we were talking about it when we were playing tennis. And Glencore, which is the big Swiss uh, commodities company, they're very big coal miners, and they're, it's at, they're absolutely printing money. You know, yes. it's booming. <laughs> well, I notice uh, we've had uh, New Haven come up, um, uh, New Hope rather, and Whitehaven, Whitehaven. in the past. And uh, even though they're very out of favour um, with ESG investors, they are producing a lot of cash at the moment. Um, and and Scott, everyone focuses on the iron ore price. As Mark was saying, that coal price mm. has, has had a stellar rise as well. It's been phenomenal, Koshi. And Mark's done a really nice job of summarising the case, I think. For investors, probably a question. Look, if you, if you like mining, if you like coal mining, you like mining contractors, as Mark's already highlighted, this is a pretty good fit at an undemanding price. That's all true. I, for me, I, I'm probably slightly more, I won't say more conservative than Mark in, in general, but on this one, in the sense that I don't know what the future looks like when it comes to the demand for coal. And I suppose you've got to have a view to some degree on what that might look like. On one hand, and again, without getting political at all, just a matter or ideological, look at the political outcomes, the policy outcomes we might end up with. At one end of the spectrum, if coal mining's future is tied up with government action on climate change, if that action on climate change effectively renders, or frankly, even community uh, uh, decisions, uh, purchasing decisions, company decisions, activism, ends up with some of this coal being a stranded asset. In other words, they're not allowed to, can't, uh, can't profitably get it out of the ground and sell it. Then you've got to look very, very differently at businesses that maybe have fixed lives and a resource base they never get to fully tap. Now, I don't know that that's the case. I'm not even saying that should be the case. I'm looking at purely financially and saying, if at the end of the day, at some point that goes to a zero revenue, zero profit, or probably a loss, obviously, but you know, some sort of zero revenue, zero operating profit model because coal mining has a, a finite end, then those assets right now are remarkably expensive because you're paying for the assumption of ongoing sales and profit. Now, on the other hand, maybe it never happens or maybe it's a moratorium on new mines and maybe it's a case of developing world changes, but we still ship a heap of coal to the developing world. Um, there's, a, there's a whole lot of range of outcomes within there. The problem is a little bit like owning Chinese listed assets. You've got that big asterisk at the end, which says anything times zero is still zero. And that's my largest <laughs> concern. I don't think I could quite go mastermind at this point. You mentioned coal mines. I am a shareholder in Washington H. Sol Pattinson, which owns New Hope or shares in New Hope, I should say. Um, I'm happy for the millers to, to look after that asset on my behalf and that investment and make that call for better or worse. Um, and again, you know, the fact that plenty of smart people are still invested in this might just mean that, frankly, if there is a 25 year mine life or a 30 year or a 50 year mine life, these are probably cheap assets. You've just got to make that call for yourself. I just don't have a, a view. 
I, I don't know the odds. Um, and again, uh, odds aren't plus 10, minus 10%. It's probably zero at some point and thereafter. Um, you end up with people like Philip Morris in the, in the UK buying an asthma business to try and get out of cigarette smoking. I don't know if that happens with Mastermind or others, but it's just it, it very, very hard to know how to handicap the odds, as I said before. And again, this one, I'm just simply happy to say, you know what, I just don't know. If you can make some money, if you're smarter than me or, or, you're, or luckier than me, knock yourself out. Um, I just, I can't do it. Sure. Okay. All right. Uh, Keenan wants a view, Scott, on Virgin Money UK, which... Uh, Operates Clydesdale Bank, Yorkshire Bank, um, and a couple of others. Uh, got a lot, uh, 3 million customers, um, 169 branches across Scotland, north of England and Midlands. Um, what do you think of Virgin Money? And also, uh, through the lens of um, everyone's after a lot of retail investors in Aussie Bank investments. Yep. Is this a better opportunity than an Aussie bank? You saw my thunder a little bit there, Koshi, can I oh. say? I'll, uh, I'll happily, <laughs> happily get you back later. Mate, so here's the thing. If you look at, there was a report in the AFR this morning or yesterday afternoon saying that CBA's result was great, but it's also the most expensive bank in the world. Yep. And that takes some doing. And so I think, you know, from, from, from at least that perspective, you look at Australian banks and think, man, okay, that's, that, you know, Commonwealth Bank's more expensive than the others. The others are still expensive. On the other hand, you've got Virgin UK, effectively, as you say, Clydesdale and Yorkshire, um, selling for 8.8 times earnings, something like that. Compared to Commonwealth Bank's, I assume it's 20 plus right now. I haven't looked in the last couple of days, but it was around that number, maybe even a little bit higher. I think it was 24 times at some point last year. Um, this is a, if, if you're simply playing a, a, you know, an arbitrage game or you like the sector, but you want some attractive pricing and some attractive um, assets at a decent, at a decent yield, um, this is not a terrible, terrible way to do it. 8.2 actually is the PE, believe it or not. A much smaller bank, much less successful bank than CBA. Uh, so, you know, comparing the two, there's plenty of people yelling at the computers or TVs right now saying, hang on, they're, they're you know, comparing chalk and cheese. And yes, to some degree, I absolutely am. Um, you know, HSBC and, and Deutsche are very different from Commonwealth Bank as well. So you don't want to just say, look, they're all banks, they're all retail banks, therefore mm. you should pay the same price. By the same token, if you are going to look at a, a financial stock and you want to try and find one that isn't the, the normal set, Virgin's definitely worth a look. I think... You've got to believe that this is a business with meaningful ongoing scale. And frankly, it seems to be. This is the old CYBG for those who follow it for a while, by the way, if they all sound familiar. Um, Close on Yorkshire Banking Group. Yep. That's, the, that's the business that you're effectively buying. It's now the Virgin Money brand, of course. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably say a cautious buy on this one, Koshi, only because you can't. If you're buying an asset for 8.2 times earnings and an asset that actually is profitable, you don't even need growth in an asset of that style and size to make some money, um, at least academically. If you bought enough of these statistically, you would do very, very well. Um, they're not the best banks in the world. They're not even probably in the top quartile of the best banks in the world, but they're not crazy expensive. They're not crazy risky either. You're not taking investment banking risks or proprietary trading risks with these guys yep. that you might with maybe an investment bank or a, or a foreign okay. commercial bank. Um, it's a pretty vanilla option, probably mid-tier in terms of quality. But at eight times earnings, you'd go a long way wrong. So yeah, if you, if you wanted some banking exposure and you were worried about the price and the, the, the PEs of the Commonwealth Banks and the others, I'd happily look at something okay. like this one. Um, so I'll put it in a cautious buy purely on, on valuation alone. Yep. Mark? Uh, yeah, well, the old Clydesdale Yorkshire Bank, they were the ones that NAB owned, remember? Yeah, so that was right. a, yes. so they, 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 could make, they could make them work. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so, 
So uh, it was when Nab was trying to imitate AMP there for a while, I think. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, no, it's not, I, I think the uh, comments uh, Scott made are reasonable. I think the the fact that it's paying a good dividend uh, and based on the PE, the PE, by the way, that eight sub ten is where banks normally trade on the yep. long term. Uh, Combank's absurd on how high it is. And if you look at the US banks at the moment, and there are heaps of them in the US, um, we've, we're showing up a hell of a lot of them on our uh, conscious investor filters uh, on PEs of six, seven, eight, that sort of thing. So, um, and some of those I would think, are, I would argue are probably better than these, but there's, there's so many of them. It's something I'm not that interested in. I, I'm, I'm not really keen on banks unless you're buying it at the bottom of a cycle. And I don't think we're anywhere near a bottom of a cycle at the moment. So uh, the the return on equity is really low as well. So it doesn't look good on our on our on our system. So it's not something we'd ever get through our primary filters. So we wouldn't consider it. Okay, all right. Uh, Molly wants a view, Mark, on Telex Pharmaceuticals, the uh, big oncology um, uh, drug company, the or um, basically research company trying to uh, yeah. get oncology oncology drugs onto the market. They're um, they're one of the a couple of them are, are close to getting FDA approval or in that final hurdle of getting them. Um, you hope they really succeed because they've they've got drugs for for horrible diseases. Yeah, molecular targeted radiation. You know, the, I, I read I read up the blurb on it. It's all it's all very interesting. Um, the problem the problem is uh, it's only been listed for four years. And this, they're burning through capital pretty heavily, which is nothing surprising because that's what these these bio, these pharmaceutical biotech companies do, and because they they have to spend money on going through the process of trying to get the uh, their their testing approved and get through the stages and and for the FDA and so on and same with the TGA here. Um, last year they went through 47% of their capital, so it's you know it, wow. it's a punt. You know, it's got about a 1.7 bill market cap, so it's not small. So there's a fair bit of confidence that this business is, is going to get there, but you don't know until they get through stage three. And some companies falter at that line as well. So the, the, the performance of these sorts of companies for shareholders is pretty grim, you know, if, if you look at history. So I think if, you, if, you want, if you're an investor who wants to invest in things that are, you know, that are going to be good for society and so on, then you know this is not that this is one of those things you could do it on, but you should consider it being very speculative, mm-hmm. and it might do really well down the road. But at the moment, they lost 37 million last year. You know, then they're, they're nowhere near um, uh, revenue, yeah. getting getting revenue yet. And when okay. they do, they still then have to sell the product. They have to be good managers, and they have to be able to turn that into either dividends or capital growth for shareholders. So there's a lot of if 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 in all that. So for me, uh, it's just pure speculation and no interest. Yep. All right, Scott. Um, uh, share price though uh, tripled mm. in the, in the last twelve months. So it's, uh, someone's liking it. It's a phenomenal story. Well, yeah, and this is hope springs eternal, right? And and yeah. the challenge for yeah, you know, I say that companies like this are made to make people like me and Mark look stupid because no one remembers the hundred times we warned people off, but the one time it actually does fulfil their whole next CSL promise, and we go, oh man, we said to leave it alone at six bucks now, six hundred bucks. You guys are idiots. Um, that, that's kind of you know, these businesses are born to make us look silly. There is there, you, are, you are playing the odds. We've said before. I've said. I think Mark's been probably said use the same analogy. Just because someone wins the lotto every week doesn't mean it's a good idea to play it, right? Yeah. Just because someone is going to be the next CSL doesn't mean every company who wants to be the next CSL will be. This is a reverse lottery. The, the, maybe it's not. Maybe it's an actual lottery. The, the chances of of you actually buying this and making a lot of money are really really low. But occasionally there'll be one company that does remarkably well, and I think that's there's always that 
hope it does spring eternal. And as you rightly said at the top, you know, I hope every biotech on the market does well because that means we're inventing and developing drugs. We're, we're discovering cures. Um, I'd love to think from a medical health perspective that that was exactly what was going on out there. And hopefully businesses like this are successful. You pay more than a billion dollars. The losses are widening. I looked at the earnings graph. It's a really nice, almost straight line, except it's in the wrong direction. So instead of being up to the right, it's down to the right, which is just it goes further and further away. It's a tough one to it's a tough one to buy on any on any basis. The other thing, by the way, is even if to Mark's point, it gets through those those gates, those checkpoints, it's already factored into the price. So mm-hmm. you, you're only in any investing, no matter how boring or how exciting the company, but from you know Adelaide, Brighton, Brickworks through to the the highest flying speculative stock you can find, if the odds are already calculated correctly by the market, it's already in the price. Now the market's yep. not always efficient, otherwise market I wouldn't have a job. But the the ability to look at a, an opportunity and say does this look undervalued? Even if it's worth exactly the current market price, then fine. But there's no upside there. You have to yeah. believe not only is it worth the current price, but it's undervalued at the current price. That takes an even further leap. Is it worth it? You know, a billion dollars? I don't know. Um, yeah. But that's what it's trading for now. Is it worth one point something billion? Two, three, four billion dollars? It takes an even greater leap of of kind of imagination and and and. I was going to say guts, but it's not a case of having guts or not having guts. It's just a matter of is it, is it likely to happen, right? It's it's a very yeah. boring mathematical question of what's the probability and what's the payoff. If you're paying a trillion dollars for a business with very little revenue, no earnings, and a whole lot of losses, a lot's already baked in. I just I just think you, you know yeah. if it works, then fine, and, and congratulations to shareholders. Um, it's just you, yeah. you know if if I gave you a billion dollars, hey, do you want to buy a pharmaceutical company with no revenues and no profits? You say no, thank you very much. Yeah, that's exactly what you're doing if you're buying shares in Telex. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, you two have mentioned to us in the past with these little biotechs, if if you like that space and you you want to back them, um, don't put all your money into one, sort of put a little bit into five or six um, and have a little portfolio and hopefully one or two take off and make up for the others that don't do anything. Maybe look at that way. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still not sure that's a, it, look, it, it improves your odds. It absolutely yeah. improves your odds because if you do manage to jag a CSL or an afterpay if you use the do some yeah. other examples. You know, if you bought a basket of buy now, pay later stocks in March last year, you've done very, very nicely. That being said, if you bought afterpay in February, you're also still down. So it's not yeah. a one-way ticket. Uh, yeah. But as you say, mate, if you're going to do, if you, if you I, I wouldn't do it at all, but if you're going to, diversifying your bets, yeah. grabbing your basket, it's absolutely the right yeah, tra- way to do it. Treat them like investing in startups. Um, yeah, Thomas exactly. wants a view, uh, Scott, on Copper Mountain Mining Company, uh, um, a copper producer with interests in Canada and also Queensland. Yeah, copper and a little bit of gold as well, Koshi. It's a, it's an interesting business. You get a bit of, look, you know, we've talked a lot about sovereign risk in the past. Uh, I'd Here's the challenge with all investing. Everything's done on a, on, a, on a scale of risk and return, right? We all know that. But it's important to set this out because if you're going to say something, it's right to say, Buying an Australian and Canadian-based gold miner is a better bet, a more, a more likely, a higher likelihood of success than buying one based out of Africa or Asia, for example, because you don't have the sovereign risk to take, out, take account of. Again, though, as I mentioned about Telex, you're probably not going to get the same degree of discount for exactly the same reasons. And if the market, again, is roughly efficient, then it's pricing those risks accordingly. And the business in, in less secure geographies should, in theory, be trading for a lower price because of that risk. So I say that because it's fine to say from a quality perspective, GT in Australia and Canada, that's better, and it is. But you're also not necessarily getting that discount. So there's no free lunch. Um, you are yeah. paying up for that if you do it. I've said for a long time, and I'm not going to change my tune anytime soon, so regular viewers will know exactly what I'm about to say. Uh, I, I really dislike mining stocks, drilling stocks, both together. 
for the simple reason that you are at best going to run a high quality efficient operation and that's as good as it gets because even if you do all of that stuff and the share uh, sorry the gold price halves you're completely stuffed if it doubles you're a genius neither of those outcomes are within your control yeah. uh, now that doesn't make them bad or good managers it doesn't necessarily make them bad or good businesses but as an investment it's all about mm. the commodity price quite literally and you can magnify that for a company with lots of debt so the more debt it has the bigger the swings the more volatile the more risky and the more upside let's be clear so there are usually um, the wider the range of outcomes, it tends to go in both directions, up and down, not always, but mostly. Um, I don't have a strong ability to predict the gold price, but if I was a betting man, I wouldn't expect it to go up meaningfully over the foreseeable future and possibly even down, um, only because the further it gets from the marginal cost of production, as I said before, yeah. the more room there is for other people to add volume to the supply side, and that should push prices down. It's Eco 101, we've all done it. Um, yeah, when, when prices are high, when profits are high, supply gets added. Uh, when the reverse happens, supply tends to drain away. And so you do get fluctuations in price. Over time, it tends to stabilise, or average, yep. maybe is a better word to put, around the cost of production. Okay. Mark? Yeah, no, I agree with all that. Um, I think Copper Mountain, I would think it's more cop, more focused on cop, more yep. equal. Gold and copper go together quite often, and, co and gold is often a byproduct of a copper yep. mine. But the main focus is copper, and copper's got a very strong future with, uh, with the whole uh, uh, global warming uh, responses to do with um, electric, anything electric, and vehicles and so on. They, you know, so copper, mm. a lot of reports I've read are saying copper demand is going to really take off. Now, does that mean that pr the price will go up? Well, I don't know, because there's, there's supply all over the world, and it comes back to that supply-demand uh, equation, which it, the experts who are in this and do it all day get it wrong. So uh, I have zero chance of doing that. It's way outside my circle of competence. So I couldn't make any judgment, therefore, just because they're in copper and copper sexy again, therefore you should buy it. Uh, it's only got three years history as well, which is not long uh, from our point of view. Uh, earnings have, have gone up quite strongly over the last two years, which is encouraging, uh, although the sales are flat, which infers that they're, well, either they're operating more efficiently as the mines, uh, mine gets going, the Canadian one, uh, or it could be a consequence of the uh, high, highest copper prices as well. I don't know. Okay. So too hard. All right. Let's just recap the first five stocks. Stock of the day, Domain, um, based on its results uh, this morning, a no from both Mark and Scott Mervak, a no as well. Mastermind, um, um, Mark likes Mastermind on its, um, uh, on its analysis at the moment, a no from Scott. Virgin Money, uh, a tentative buy, um, from Scott, a no from Mark, and a no from te on Telex and Copper Mountain. Uh, here at the call, we've been following our own f fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July. Any stocks that get, uh, they're all thanks to our partner, NAB Trade. Any stocks that get two thumbs up, go into the portfolio. Let's see how it's been performing. For the week up, uh, almost 1.5%, up 1.5% for the month, and up almost 3.5% since the 1st of July this financial year since the 1st of July last month. Uh, taking a look at some of the stocks recently added, Magnus Energy Technologies, uh, Telstra, Ray's, BHP and Nexcali. Some of the ones removed, uh, Link Administration, the uh, Asia Technology Tigers ETF and Evolution Mining. Uh, if you want to see all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And just a Quick note from us here at Ausbiz, if you know someone who's interested in investing but may not be aware of us, Ausbiz, uh, now's the time to let them know. If you refer five friends and they sign up, 
you're going to the draw to win one of six prizes in a pool worth 10 grand, including a $5,000 self-wealth trading account uh, and some premium wine from Nepenthe. Uh, to enter, use the referral code in your CIB newsletter that you get every afternoon. Uh, and if not subscribed, you can still take part. Just sign up by using osbiz.co forward slash join. All right, let's get into uh, the second half. And uh, um, I know this is a Team Invest Wealth winner, uh, Mark, for a long time. Uh, Charlie wants a view on CSL, the massive biotech, our premium one. Um, Charlie says, long time holder of CSL, expected a little more from them during COVID. But all, um, the last 12 months has been an underperformer. Why? And I noticed Motley Fool did a recent uh, analysis of CSL. I saw that said uh, over the past 10 years, the share price has delivered an average return of 26% since 2011. And uh, um, so it certainly has been a wealth with the market. Well, what do you think of it now? Are you disappointed with it? No, no, not at all. Now, by, by the way, the, uh, the 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 viewer who said he was disappointed, he, what he means, I think, is he was disappointed in the share price because yeah. the share price has come down uh, over Corona. It actually came down from, I think, what was the high? Should I have a look? Uh, the high, I think, was uh, uh, yeah, three three twenty. Three there, about three twenty, and the low was two forty two. And by the yeah. way, that was extremely good buying at two forty two. Um, and CSL is a, you know, it's, it's an absolute wealth winner, as you said, um, uh, for Team Invest members. Most members own it. Uh, I do too. Um, it's got 98% uh, stability of sales. So this is a business that has linear sales. So it's not really affected by um, anything. And their, their stability of earnings is 89%, which is spectacular. What did happen through Corona is they, it, they did get hurt a bit with, uh, blood collections because they actually collect most of the blood plasma from the US because in the US you can actually pay people uh, mm. I think they pay them $30 I think it is for uh, a, a liter of uh, a liter of blood and the Americans are allowed to go three times a week so what they do is they they take the blood out they take the red blood cells out and then put the plasma back in so it's like a, a, a round robin and right. they can it's 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 quite for the for the lower class say class the lower earning Americans um, it's actually nice extra money. Now, what happened, of course, is through COVID, where the government was giving people handout checks, people couldn't be bothered going into uh, donate blood because they had money. Even they didn't right. look at it from, from the point of view of going, oh well, I'll, I'll keep the money the government's getting me, and I'll get my blood money. <laughs> so, what was happening was it was affecting CSL's um, stock they needed, which affected what they do when they produce it and all the things they take out of it and sell. So it was actually the COVID ended up being a drag. On CSL, but that's nothing in the long term. This is just a short-term um, effect. So, and the market then quite rightly uh, dropped the price to give all smart investors a chance to buy more CSL um, at, a, at a good price. Now, if you look at it now, it's it's clawed its way back, not that far. It's in the middle of the black on the PE range for us, which is right in the middle of its average PE range, and we're showing CSL returning about six percent a year at the, if you bought it today at. Um, uh, $297 <clears throat> on our margin of safety, which is our very conservative numbers, and 16% per year over the next five years on our default numbers, which is the more likely ones in my right. view anyway. And CSL has also got a brilliant um, uh, <clears throat> a bank of 
things they've been working on and various drugs and so on that are in multiple stages of trials. So there's a lot of very prospective stuff there that should give uh, CSL significant earnings boost over the next decade as well. So I'm, I think I'd, I'll put CSL in as a buy at this price. Right. Okay. Um, and on in the Motley Fool analysis, Scott, $1,000 invested 10 years ago in CSL <laughs> would be uh, worth $10,000 at the end of 10 years. So uh, yeah. it's been, a, been pretty good. What do you reckon? No, you're rubbing my own face in the fact that I own CSL. You do it at my own company's research, mate. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, well, I'm giving you an applause. Not, not my show. I know. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate People it. should be going I'm, I'm to just, I'm just and myself. Very fun. <laughs> well, I should, I should have been doing it 10 years. That's what I'm saying. I'm dirty on myself, not you. I should have bought, I should have bought the stock, shouldn't I? Um, you know, CSL is a really, really tough business. You know, I... Maybe I've just bent myself in a corner because I haven't known it. Watch it go higher, and maybe when you're in that situation, the kind of uh, you know your you, you reinforcement bias kind of kicks in. You say, "Well, oh, now it's too expensive. Now it must be too expensive," and it keeps going higher and higher. And you keep telling yourself that you're even more right. Um, certainly, there's plenty of housing doom and gloomers who've spent 25 years doing that. No names, no factorial. Um, it's one of those situations where here's my problem with CSL. This is this is the rationale. Now, again, I've prefaced it with the fact that I haven't owned it, so maybe I'm I'm the deal here. It, it's a remarkably big business. It's remarkably large in its market space. So there's not all that much room to grow market share wise. It's really expensive. And to justify that PE, it has to add very large dollar amounts of growth every single year and compound that over really long periods of time to justify its PE. So I say all of that. And yet, as you've rightly pointed out, I would have said the same thing five years ago. And so I've been wrong and horribly wrong for that period of time and for even longer because I have never owned the stock. So I may just be Trying to trying to justify my own my own ineptitude, it's a really difficult one. I, I I still look at that and I think, you know, can I confidently say where those compound dollars from here until twenty thirty five or whatever number you want to choose will come from? Is there enough market opportunity left? Is there enough R and D outcome left? In other words, they're spending a lot of money on R and D, but is there enough there left to be discovered, de developed, deployed? Um, I can't think of any other D words uh, that, that really make a difference for CSL and deliver some sort of gain on that. Now, on the flip side, the P has always been this high. And so maybe it's one of those stocks that's always expensive. To Mark's point, it's in the middle of its range, which I, I would still argue on any fundamental analysis is too high, but that's it, it is what it is. Um, I, so I, I, I still can't bring myself to say I think it's a buy. If, if, if Here's my test. Normally for our members, I say to myself, if this doesn't work out, and members say to me, why did you, you know, didn't you consider this risk? Or, or what did you think about that at the time? And I've got a reasonable reason. I say, you know, what? I thought this would happen. I was just straight out wrong. I'm okay with that. If someone says, why didn't you think 40 times earnings? And could it really add X billion dollars worth of, of, of revenue growth over those years to generate that return? I hand on heart, can't, couldn't answer where I think that's going to come from. Okay. And so I've just put it in the two hard basket. Now, sure. as I said, I've been wrong for a long time. Uh, that's my general view on CSL. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll need to skip along a few of these guys. Uh, Scott Robert wants a view on EQT Holdings. I was thinking, what's EQT? And then yeah. I realised it's the, the old equity trustees, which has been around forever. Uh, financial services, fund manager, trustee services. It's been around mm -hmm. for decades, has it? It really has. You, you, new, new coat of paint, new brand, throw an acronym in front of it. Gosh, it's a whole new business. See? Uh, apparently, Equity Trustees isn't a cool brand. I'm not sure they can probably answer that better than I can. Uh, this one's just too expensive for me. 32 times earnings on the numbers I've got in front of me. Um, it, it seems to be doing a, a pretty decent job. It's, it's a fine business. 
frankly, the, the business lines it's in should be growth businesses. There should be a lot more money being spent on trustee services, funds management, wealth management administration. This is a growth industry for at least the next 20 or 30 years. As the boomers continue to age, as X catches up with them, uh, there's more money in the sector, more people, more need for these sorts of services. So I like the business lines. I like the business model. Um, I, I have nothing wrong with the business at all. Can't complain. But at 32 times earnings, a lot has to go right, a la CSL. And I just, yep. you know, maybe it does. Maybe you get that sort of compound growth. It'll be good. I, I love the funds management, wealth management business model. If you're, you know, making more money on a higher fund over time, that's a that's a really nice way to make some money and print some cash. I just can't see EQT doing it from here. Yep. Mark? Um, yeah, well, I, I think Scott's being yeah, brave, putting that putting EQT in the same sentence with CSL. EQT <laughs> 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 has got... <laughs> uh, I, would, I, would, I would say EQT is a, a mediocre company at best. Uh, it's got reliable, stable income. Uh, its, its growth rate has been 5.6% average over the last six years. And in fact, if you look at 10 years, it's flat. Forget share price. This is earnings, which underlies everything. Their earnings have been flat and they've actually turned down a bit in the last couple of years in an, in a, in an industry which has had boom periods over this, this time. So we've got lots of companies we've invested in that have done really, really well. And there's companies that have similar products as these guys like Fiducian has a, a not too dissimilar model, far superior company. This is at the top of the red of its P at 34 times earnings, which is very close to, uh, to uh, CSL's 36. Now for CSL's 36 times earnings, They've had an average of 16.6% EPS growth for the last six years. So right. which would you have? I mean, it's yeah, just yeah. not even on the same planet. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mark, Nicole wants a view on Janice and education. They're, they're obviously, as the name implies, in the education business, but software and student assessment. Um, the program for international student assessment measuring 15-year-olds' uh, ability at school. They've just done a deal with the OECD to offer it uh, in those countries as well. Uh, it's said its share price um, go up a little bit. Yeah, it's never it's never come across our radar because all their, it's sort of got a history of not making any money. It's only got six years listed history. Uh, we're showing it losing about 5% a year, so it's, it's negative. So I can't actually even calculate anything on that. It's a $180 million market cap. Uh, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's got no, very little debt. Um, I don't know much about it. Other, so you really have to understand the story and know why this deal they've done in Europe and so on is going to give them um, you know, a big increase in earnings because at the moment their earnings are flat. So apart yeah. from making a massive loss in um, 2014, which was enormous, it's a straight line since 2014. It's been totally flat at zero growth. Right. So I don't know, where the, you know how they can actually get the earnings up to justify um to even consider it as a as a um, an investment because of course there is no PE because it's making a loss. Yep, uh, Scott. Yeah, that's my issue. I think uh, look, it's it's re really a bad idea to try and make money from governments who are in some sort of education arms race, right? And so if you if you can do the PISA testing and others, ICAS, the other one they do um, across across the world. Uh, governments love the heck out of testing because it gives them something to hang their hat on to complain about the opposition on all that kind of good stuff and so yeah plenty of systems are signing up for it it's become some sort of de facto-ish standard which is really good for janison so you know probably the right business the right line you expect more money spent in education in 10 years time than today so some nice tailwinds as well can't dislike the business's efforts 
to Mark's point, what I, I was really surprised the business is making money, really honestly. I have to say, I looked at the numbers, looked at the business, went, okay, well, let's have a look at the profit. Interestingly enough, I, I did pull up the company's last uh, uh, ASX release, earnings release. And they talk about revenue and then cash and then I think number of students and then something else. And funnily enough, in the in the big table on the front page of the press release, profit doesn't get mentioned. And that was the first hint that maybe it's nothing they don't want to talk about. Um, <laughs> is one I think it's look given what given its growth, given given what it's trying to do, given its industry, this is one worth leaving on the watch list. Not because it's necessarily going to be a great business, but because it may well be a really high quality business over time. And or you might simply get a good price depending on when they start making some money. So it's one to keep an eye on. Given, as I said, that history of not having made money yet, despite what they're doing, despite all those contracts they've got, despite all the business they're doing, um, either it doesn't scale very well, you can't charge enough. There's something about the business. And I just want to keep a little bit more of an eye on it for a little bit longer, just to make sure it can turn from loss to profit mm. and sustainably. And then you can kind of value it on, on some more reasonable metrics. Now, when it first goes profitable, it may be 68, 100 times earnings, because when you go from losing a fortune to making you yeah. know, $1 million, $2 million, it can be a stupidly high PE, but at that point, you at least know it's turned the business model into something that actually right. resembles a profitable business. That's probably a good time to have another look. Yeah, and IDP is the, the biggest in that sector too, is it? Yeah. which all the universities yes. own. Um, ben wants a view, Scott, on uh, EBOS, the uh, Australia's largest marketer, wholesale and distributor of healthcare, medical and pharmaceutical and uh, animal welfare products. This is a fascinating business, Koshi. So I have a uh, background. I used to work at Blackmore's back in the day. So I know the pharmaceutical wholesaling business a little bit. Um, yeah. And we all talk about Sigma and, and um, API, and, and rightly so. But EBOS kind of doesn't get anywhere near the same attention from investors, and it probably deserves to. If you look at the numbers, the earnings growth has been this steady march upwards, while Sigma and API have been fighting about the chemist warehouse contract and either losing yep. volume or losing money, depending on which one you wanted to choose. Um, EBOS just quietly gone about its business, growing steadily and steadily over time. Mm. Currently on 26 times earnings, though, and I, I, the, the problem with wholesaling, pharmaceutical wholesaling in particular, is there's too many of them. Uh, the community service obligation on the wholesalers means there's way too many pharmaceutical warehouses in Australia. They're probably something like twice as many as there should be. But of course, all three of them need one in the city or the town or the area or the region. And so if there's one there, there's three there. And not exactly the case, but pretty close to that. You can assume that's roughly right. They probably need two there or maybe, you know, three between two regions, something like that. But because they've all got that community service obligation, they're all incentivized to overbuild. And that's given reasonably poor returns in terms of both growth and also shareholder returns. So 26 times earnings, I think there's too much industry um, risk, too much potential for one or more to go broke, or frankly, to fight each other to death profit-wise. Um, right. I, I have a saying, you're only as profitable as your least rational competitor allows you to be. And if that's the case in pharmaceutical wholesaling, that's why the chemist warehouse contract keeps going backwards and forwards because someone's more desperate than someone else. Um, there's just too many players here. When there's fewer players or fewer warehouses, it's worth a look until I'm going to give it a wide berth. Okay. Mark? Yeah, no, I think that was well summed up. It's um, it's a reliable business, as in it's got very stable mm -hmm. earnings, and the growth's been about eight percent a year over the last six years, so ninety-five percent stability, which is good. So we like that. It passes it passes all our or most of our metrics. It, it's, it looks pretty good. Uh, Four point eight billion market cap. Uh, I agree with everything Scott said. The problem with this, I've got twenty-seven PE on it. It's at the very top of the red, which means it's, it's at the top of its range. You know, so so you're paying. It, the market loves it. We call that a, the greedy price. Now, the effect of that is it affects what your return is going to be going forward. So if the, if the company continues growing at 8%, I don't know whether they will or not, but let's say they do, they keep growing earnings at 8%, 
we're showing you get about a 7.1% return per year over the next five years, which is, you know, doesn't get me excited. No. And if I take it on a margin of safety number, it's 1.2%. So, so it's somewhere, it's probably going to be somewhere between 1.2 and 7% a year. So I think it's a, it's, it's an, it's an okay company. Uh, I agree with everything Scott said. I have zero interest in it. It's too hard and there's not enough return there. If the, if the PE right. was on 10, you know, then I'd be interested. But it's a long right. way away from what I think it would need to be to be worth uh, considering it. Okay. Yeah. Our final stop, Mark. Uh, Scott has uh, emailed in, wants a view on Eclipse Group, which is um, one of our biggest fleet management, car leasing, novated lease businesses. Uh, yeah, this is this, this is also a typical area. The we used to be invested in um, uh, Macmillan Shakespeare uh, many right. years ago, which was a which was a quality company. And then um, Kevin Rudd, uh, the time, made some comment in the media that maybe he'd get rid of the um, fringe benefit tax incentives on com- on company cars for uh, for the uh, medicos and public services and so on. And Macmillan Shakespeare share price went down fifty percent. And right. and what it was, it was a bit of a wake up call at the time for companies that operate under a system where their whole business model is based on some government rule and it might not even be a gov- it might even be legislation it can be just a uh, yeah so it was a real opener this yep. company operates in the same area its performance has been pretty mediocre compared to the others there's, there's another one too uh, Scott will probably know who I'm talking about there's uh, what's the other one that's smart in group? the space yeah smart group smart group, smart yeah. group actually, yep. Uh, it looks pretty good, and we've we've spoken to management there. Their their numbers are dramatically better than um, uh, ah, right. Eclipse. Okay. So Eclipse has got a it fails on return on equity six point seven. Um, it's got high debt, but that's probably uh, they're probably using it for finance, but it's on their balance sheet. Uh, we're showing it returning negative nine percent a year at the current PE, which is fifteen. Okay. So the earnings growth rate's been negative eleven percent over the last uh, six years. That doesn't so sound flashy. No, well, it's the thing is, if you're going to invest in these areas, you wouldn't want all of them. So you you go for the best player, but we don't even do that. So basically, what yeah. we do is look at we look at businesses and say where are they, and then yeah. say you know like if you're investing in in this sort of area, you don't even want one. So Smart Group would be uh, a possibility. McMillan, I think, has uh, hasn't done anywhere near as well over yeah. the last few years. All right, yeah. Scott, quick view, quick view on uh, Eclipse. Yeah, agree with Mark on Smart Group. It's my favourite player in the space. If you do think that one's a buy for what it's worth, so a slight difference of view to Mark, but the general direction is the same. The the, the opportunity for Eclipse shareholders, if you wanted to look at this, a P of 11, a, a yield of 5%, and profits halved in last year and the year before compared to the year before that and the year before that. So basically it's taken a step down. If it can recover some of that, this could actually be a really cheap stock. It gets re-rated really quickly. That's a big if, as Mark started by mm. saying. So we've kind of bookended the, bookended the show nicely. Lots of ifs combined, but... I wouldn't. I wouldn't desperately say to people, don't do this if you wanted to it. If you if you're convinced, because eleven times earnings, five percent yield, fully franked, and the chance that if it can rediscover that mojo, it has some upside to the business. Okay. Again, hope's not an investment strategy. I'd be careful, uh, yep. but that would be the investment case. But no, I'd leave it and buy Smart Group instead. Mark Morland from Team Invest. Really great to catch up. Thank you for today, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Don't forget. Go to the website, subscribe to Motley Fool as well, get all the information you, and uh, find out how CSL was done. All that. Uh, all right, guys, thank you for that. Enjoy the rest of the week and the earnings season. Just to uh, recap our final five stock CSL, uh, a yes from Mark, a no from Scott, uh, neither on EQ2. 
Uh, no on Janison, Education, EBOS and Eclipse. Um, in that car leasing market, they prefer Smart Group. Uh, that's our show for today. If you goes quickly, doesn't it? Uh, lots of great information. If you've got any stocks you want us to look at, uh, put them in an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. All the stocks in the calls portfolio, see them at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. <laughs>